Mark 10, starting in verse 42. It's a little easier now that we're out of the minor prophets, right, to find where it's at. (laughs) Mark 10, starting in verse 42. Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Lord, we, we need you to anoint the preaching of your word today. Lord, I ask that you would fill me afresh. And help me to be sensitive to your spirit, Lord, as that sail in the wind. God, would you glorify your name through the preaching of your word today. Prepare our hearts to receive from you, Lord, your precious word, and do a mighty work to glorify your name in the preaching of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to do something. I want you to look around this room. Now, if you had to write a report, you had to give a a report to the building committee, how would you write that report? What would you put in it? It would be different with each person because you have different personalities. So it would be different. They would receive the reports, and there would be all kinds of different things. Some people would note that there were, you know, Six windows on the side total, three on each side. Some would state this, some would state that. Now, imagine doing, examining this room and writing a report not to the building committee, but to the decorating committee. Things would be quite different. That would look different, wouldn't it? The two reports would be significantly different. Your personality would shine in each report, but the reports would be different because of who they're targeted for. Same thing if I were to say, say you're going to give a report to the music uh, or or the technical side of things, and it would be different. You would state where maybe there's dead spots in the room or things like that. And what we see is this. The four Gospels are like that, okay? What they are is they're distinct accounts of one person. We have one room. But they're distinct accounts of one person with one purpose. That purpose is to present the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But each one is unique in a sense that they're written to different people, a different group of people, written from by different people with their own unique personalities. So that's what we see. Is it different? Every one of you that would write those reports to the building committee, to the decorating committee, to the tech team, you'd be looking at the same building. You'd be looking at the same thing. You would just see it from different perspectives. So even though they didn't always repeat, we would say that there wasn't an error in the descriptions. Just simply a difference due to personality or the focus. And that's what we see in the four Gospels. And today we're going to see that Mark is focusing on a specific area in Christ's life, that Jesus came from heaven to serve, and he returned to heaven to serve. Mark is talking about Jesus' servanthood, whereas 
Matthew last week was talking about a king who came. Different perspectives for different groups of people. Uh, This guy, Mark, is known in the New Testament as John Mark. So if you read John Mark, that's the writer of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, John is his Jewish name. Mark was probably his Roman name. And he was the son of Mary. She was a very rich woman in Jerusalem. So his mom had some cash. And a lot of scholars believe that it was in Mary's house, uh, Mark's mom's house, where the Last Supper occurred. So the little side stone. He was also, uh, Mark or John Mark, was the cousin of Barnabas. And you may have read in the book of Acts about how this John Mark joined Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. Well, he was part. And he was the one, it says in Acts, that was causing a division between Paul and Barnabas. So much so that they actually parted ways. And we can see, though, just the the sweetness of the healing of the gospel in that later in Paul's life, he specifically asked for John Mark to come to him. You just see that that was taken care of. It was put behind them. Uh, Mark is the first gospel that was written somewhere around 55 to 59 A.D. And it is based on Peter's testimony. So this is if Peter wrote it. And the reason being is that John Mark and Peter were very close. So much so that Peter referred to him as his spiritual son. Take a look at this. 1 Peter 5.13 She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. And so he was, a, he was that close to Peter. And so when we read the Gospel of Mark, this is really Peter's testimony of what happened, and Mark recording it. It is... Uh, It's interesting because all but 31 verses, all except 31 verses, are quoted in other Gospels. So if you're reading in Matthew or Luke in particular, and you say, boy, I've heard, where did I read that somewhere else? Well, it's probably in Mark, and a lot of scholars believe that Luke and Matthew used Mark as source material because it was the first Gospel written. It is also the shortest of the four Gospels, and the most succinct of all of them. And that's why the Gospel of Mark is the most often translated New Testament book in the Bible. And what Wycliffe translators do, I don't know if you know this, Wycliffe will go into an area, they'll understand what the language means, and then they'll translate the Bible into that new language. And the Wycliffe translators usually begin translation with the Gospel of Mark because it's shorter and it's succinct. And so that's a picture that we have of this little gospel of Mark. Well, who was it written to? Because we now know a little bit about the author. We know what his relationship was with Peter. We know where he got this information. Who was he writing this to? Because again, as I said earlier, if you're describing this room and you're describing it to the missions committee or to the Uh, decorating committee. It's different than the building committee. Well, he was writing this letter to Roman Christians. So, big deal. Well, it is a big deal 
Because Romans were people of action. They did things. When I talked to Ron a couple of weeks ago, uh, he was telling me, yeah, the Romans, man, they just went at it. They just did, 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 did. They were work, got it done. So this is like that, that guy that you know that can't sit still and is always working all the time. And they go, well, i got a half an hour. I better get this done. Okay, that's what the Romans were like. They were people of action. That's why this particular gospel is sometimes referred to as the go gospel because of how it was written, and I'll explain that shortly. Here's an outline of the, the gospel of Mark. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 13 is the inauguration of Jesus' ministry. Chapter 1, 14 through 950 is Jesus' public ministry in Galilee. Chapter 10, Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. Chapters 11 through 13, Jesus' ministry in Jerusalem. Chapters 14 through 15, Jesus' suffering and death in Jerusalem. Chapter 16, 1 through 8, Jesus' resurrection. And you'll notice that verses, uh, chapter 16, uh, it should be 9 through 20, are not in the earliest manuscripts. This, these verses talk about Jesus' post-resurrection appearances and Great Commission. They weren't in the earliest manuscripts, but we still don't throw it out because this was a record of what was common in the church, things that were happening. So they weren't part of the earliest manuscripts, but we still consider it part of the Word of God. That's why you have it in there. Now, what we'll find, if you read through Mark this week, past week, if not, read through it this coming week. And here's what you're going to notice. It is filled with deeds, not words. Filled with deeds. And the events move very quickly throughout this entire book, through all 16 chapters. The word immediately is used 39 times. 39 times in 16 chapters. But there's another word that's used far more. It's the word and. A-N-D. And is used 1,375 times in the Gospel of Mark. The word and begins two-thirds of all the verses in the Gospel of Mark. Two-thirds. You see how this is written to the Romans, and the Romans are doers. And so he goes, and immediately they did this, and, 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 and. And so the Roman readers are looking at that, whoa, that's who it was targeted to. There's no genealogy in this book. There's uh, no reference to the law. There's not any Jewish customs laid out. And there are very few Old Testament quotes. And if they are quotes, they're from Jesus making them rather than Mark making those quotes. It's very interesting. You see, Mark emphasized Jesus' actions more than his teaching. There's a reason. Again, who's the target audience? The Romans. And they're people of action. They're people of, you get it done. You don't talk about it. You've got enough talk. Make it happen. And so what we see in here is there are only 18 of Jesus' 70 parables in the book of Mark. Only 18 of 70, and most of them are only one sentence. So if you're reading a parable in Matthew or Luke or John, and it's like five verses, and you want a summary of it, many times you can just go to Mark, because you've only got one sentence in it. And what's very interesting, again, is what Mark is trying to target here. And it's revealed in the, in the four parables that he details because there's only four parables that he goes into more depth about. 
And you know what the focus of each one of those parables is? It's about, it's about servanthood. Servanthood. You see, that's the focus of Mark's gospel. Jesus as the servant of man. So he talks about 14 other parables. He just fires off mostly a one-sentence summary of them. And then he gets to the four parables about servanthood. And he takes his time and he lays them out. That's what we see. He doesn't talk much about Jesus' parables or teaching, but one of the things that we do find is that Mark lists 20 of Jesus' 35 miracles. It's the highest proportion in any gospel. He lays out the miracles that Jesus did. You see, miracles illustrate Jesus' power and His compassion. And it proved His authority over creation when He talks about the stilling of the storm. It proves Jesus had authority over sickness as lepers were healed. It proved that Jesus had authority over spiritual forces when He cast the demon out of people. It proved that He had spiritual authority over death when He called Lazarus forth. These miracles proved that Jesus had authority. You see, because Mark's main point, again, is this. That a Messiah is not proven by what He said, but by what He did. That's the focus. That's what Mark was getting at through this whole gospel. He's got these Romans at it. Do, 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 do. Let's go. Let's get this done. Don't waste time. Come on. That's inefficient. Do it this way. They don't want to hear a guy sitting down talking about and, and commiserating or whatever. They want somebody that's doing it. And so Mark's going, all right, here's a gospel for the doers. It's going to be Jesus proving that he is the Messiah, not because he's fulfilling the Old Testament uh, prophecies because they were Romans. They didn't care about that. But he's saying he went to work, this Messiah. And this Messiah came and he proved he had authority by calming the storms, by casting out demons, by healing the sick. This is who this king is. This is the Messiah. And his works are evidence of that. That's what Mark was getting to. That's what he was targeting with these Roman Christians that would read his gospel. And what we see is that Jesus is master overall, as we saw last week in the book of Matthew. He is king. He is also servant of all. He is servant of all. He set aside his royal robes. He put on flesh and he tied a servant's towel around his waist. And he tended to the needs of mankind. He came. And his ultimate act of servanthood is what we just celebrated. His ultimate act of servanthood is that he gave his life as a ransom for many. Take a look. 
to the last verse we read. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Ransom is a term that was used back then for the cost of purchasing a slave out of slavery. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Deity serving the created being is contrary to virtually all world religions. And it's uncomfortable for us to say that. It's uncomfortable for us to say, Jesus is my servant. You know why? Because we misunderstand that term. Jesus is serving me. We, I, I can totally relate to Peter when Jesus is washing his feet, right? And Jesus said, I must do this. Otherwise, you have no part of me. And so what does Peter say? Peter said, no, you, you, Jesus, you're Jesus. You're, you're, you're Lord, you're Savior, you're Messiah. Don't wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't, you have no part of me. And Peter just, Peter being Peter, well, then wash me all completely. Jesus goes, you don't get it, buddy. You don't get it. It's about the cross and you don't, you haven't seen it yet. But we, we struggle with this idea that Jesus serving us, a servant to mankind, Jesus serving us. And the reason being is, is that we almost feel it's blasphemous to say that, don't we? I mean, if we get right down to where we live, it's just kind of hard to say Jesus served me and is serving me because we know who he is. But you see, please listen. This is where we misunderstand. Jesus is our servant, not our slave. And we cross the two words. We cross them. Because a servant was considered someone who did a lowly job. But they were not owned by the landowner or anybody like that, whereas a servant was owned or a slave was owned. You see, we cross that up because we come into this and we hear about Jesus being a servant to mankind and we think in the Western mindset Jesus being a slave to mankind. That's not it. Jesus was a servant to mankind. Because the problem was, we were the ones who were slaves. See, so when we look at this, Jesus being a servant to mankind, it's a picture of Christ coming and being humble and being lowly and putting on flesh. We see it over and over in the New Testament about Jesus' humility. And so when it comes to Christ, we see that Jesus came he was our ser- our servant not our slave because we were slaves we desperately needed a servant that's what we needed and we were slaves to sin we were slaves to this the flesh 
We were slaves to the world and to death. And we desperately needed a servant Messiah. That's what we needed. Jesus became what we needed. We needed a servant Messiah to set us free. And so servant Jesus came and he gave his life as a ransom to redeem us, slaves, from the slavery of sin and death and eternal separation from God. Servant Jesus came and paid sin's penalty for your life. You owed it. And he came and served you by going to the cross. He paid the penalty that your sin deserved. And then he broke the power of sin over you, serving you again, breaking the power of sin over your life. Take a look at God's Word. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's how Jesus served you 2,000 years ago. He took on your debt, your penalty for sin, and he paid it. And it says that he took the form of a servant. And 1 Peter 1, 18-19, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silk or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You see those futile ways inherited from your forefathers? That's about our sin and our desire for it. And it's, it's bond, the bondage we were into it. And Christ broke that power of sin over us. He enables us, even at this moment, He is serving as He enables us to walk in holiness. You realize that? It's Him. It's about Jesus. It's not about gutting it up and trying to do something in your own strength. It's about admitting you can't. You know, it's about getting up and, and, you, and you're leaning towards walking in an area of sin and, and, and just saying, Lord, I can't resist this. I need you. Empower me. Give me the strength to walk away from this. And Christ serves us by giving us the strength to walk in obedience to Him. That's a picture that we have of our Savior, our King, our friend, one who is serving us. That just seems so hard to even say. But it's true. And we need it. We're desperate for it. Jesus is still serving Christians today by praying for you. Do you realize that? He's interceding for you. He's saying, yeah, I know that guy down there, Father Dan, he, uh, Father, that, that preacher Dan, he's, 
He's, I need to pray for him a lot. And he's serving me by praying for me and for you. And he is serving us by giving us the power to walk in obedience to all that he commands. He's giving us the ability. It's, it's, it, it, I, I read one guy who was saying, he said, it's kind of like um, you're going to, uh, somebody gives you money to take somebody else out to lunch. So was it really the person who bought the lunch or the person who gave them the money to buy the lunch? Well, it's really about the person who gave them the money to be able to afford to buy the lunch for these other people. And that's really what Jesus has done for us. He empowers us. Mark presents Jesus as a suffering servant who came to serve and sacrifice for his people. You and I. And as we're sitting here, and you can kind of sense that gratitude and that just the humility of Christ and to have to admit our desperate need, he calls his people, us, to be like him. That with humility we would give ourselves in the service of others, in the love of others. He calls us to that. He calls us to be like Him. Take a look at God's Word. Mark chapter 10, 42 to 44. Jesus called them to Him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. That's what he's calling his disciples to. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple of Christ. And he's calling you to that. This is so hard to hear in America. Because it's all about us. Mark. 935, he sat down and called the twelve and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Be last. Race to the end of the line. How many times do we do that in life? Race to be at the end of the line. But all the good stuff is at the front of the line. In the world, that's true. In the kingdom of God, that's not. The upside down kingdom. In John chapter 13, 12 through 16. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? Do you understand? Do you get what just happened, guys? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. That is what Jesus is calling you to. To be like him. To be like him. But we struggle against this, don't we? 
we struggle against sacrificial service. We struggle because we seek our own comfort. You know, it's kind of like this. Somebody asks us to help, to serve maybe in church or somewhere or help. And the first thing we do is this. We don't give them an answer. Why? Because we want to check our schedule to make it sure it fits for us. I know because I do it. And it's like, I can't be pushed, you know, I've got a busy life here. I'm sure you do. But what about sacrificial service? That's what Jesus did. And he's calling us to be like him. And we run and we almost look for reasons not to serve. We do. I'm, I'm just confessing my own sin so many times in this. We look for reasons not to serve. Well, I'm not gifted at that. You just need a body. That's all we need. I'm not gifted at it. Ah, you know. Well, you know, life just is so busy for me. Can I ask you a question? Whose life isn't busy for them? Right? I mean, we all, that's our excuse. Life is so busy. Life is busy for everyone. For everyone. So are we going to rush to the end of the line to serve, to put others before ourselves? Because that's what Christ is calling us to. And this is so difficult. Because we're not willing to do that. And the miracle is is this. Is that Jesus has a blessing for us. Jesus has a blessing for us when we're willing to serve. Especially sacrificial serving. Especially sacrificial serving. Because what Jesus is doing is he's serving us. He's empowering us to do what he's calling us to do. We receive that blessing of Christ's empowerment. It's amazing how things happen when you start looking at what occurs as you just are being obedient to God. And all of a sudden you run across this person and this opens up and you're just standing in awe of God. Jesus today is serving us by convicting us of sin. If you're convicted right now, because you say, my service is not sacrificial, my service is nowhere, then do you realize that that's Jesus serving you by convicting you of sin and saying, hey, it's more than about your world. It's about my kingdom. And so he's serving us by his grace and his mercy and his kindness and convicting us of sin. He's serving us today by empowering us to be able to serve and love others. To do so without a need for recognition or reward. But just that God would be glorified. Just that God would be honored. Yeah, this isn't easy and this is really uncomfortable and I don't know out. But I'm going to just do it, Lord. I'm going to do it for your glory. And God, you have to give me a right attitude. I've got to pray this. Lord, give me a right attitude. All right, fine, I'll do it. I'm, you know, i got to go to the back of the line, Pastor Dan said. Get in the back of the line. You know, run for that. Okay, fine. All the good stuff's going to be gone, God. The good burgers are going to be gone. There's just going to be that casserole stuff left. Right? And it's like that in life. 
And yet Jesus will empower us and say, you know what, do, do what is right. Be like me. Be humble in your service. Be sacrificial in your service. And my name will be glorified. That's what he's calling us to. You see, because Jesus came from heaven to serve. And Jesus returned to heaven to serve. And he is serving you still. And that's our Savior. And that's the focus of Mark. That Jesus, the servant, is now highly exalting, exalted. And do you realize this? He is serving others through you. Get your head around that. That's something that I'd never really thought about a whole lot this past week. But that is a Christian. I'm filled with the Spirit of God. And that when I can serve others, it's really Christ serving them through me. Take a look at God's Word. Mark chapter 16, 15 through 20. He said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, they will drink any deadly poison and it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. I want to be a part of that. And I love Samuel Brangiel's quote, The axe cannot boast of the trees it has cut down. It could do nothing but for the woodsman. He made it, he sharpened it, and he used it. The moment he throws it aside, it becomes only old iron. You see, Jesus wants to serve others through you. We're that glove. He's the hand. You know, we we used to talk about we're Jesus' hands, we're Jesus' feet. There's some truth to that. And he's calling us. He's calling us to be like he is, to serve so that he might minister to people around us through the service that he empowers in us to encourage the hopeless. There's a whole world full of hopeless people right now. They need encouragement. And it is through his people that he will bring encouragement. That is how Jesus will encourage through us. He will proclaim liberty to the captives, the people who are bound in pornography or bitterness. He will be the one who will proclaim forgiveness in the gospel through his people. That's our Jesus. He has called us to be like him. He has called us to serve humbly and to do so so that his name would be glorified. And what about really stepping out and asking God for miracles? When was the last time you asked God for a miracle? We think of the big things, maybe the, you know, that somebody with cancer would be healed. But what about that the brokenhearted would be healed and lifted up? 
When was the last time you asked God truly, I mean, just, Lord, would you save the lost? And then you did something about it. Lord, do this work. I'm asking you for a miracle. God, set the captives free. Because, you see, we have a great God who continues to do great things. That God in the New Testament and in the Old Testament is the same God today. And I can't help but read the entire Word of God and see Him moving in ways that are so phenomenal. And I still think today He can do that. Because of who He is, not because of who I am. I'm just the glove. I'm just the axe. That's all we are. But He wants to minister to people. And so my closing question before I pray is this. How are you doing letting Jesus serve others through you? How are you doing? How are you doing at home? How are you doing at work? How are you doing at the Crescent Free? Let's pray.